Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. Today is going to be a solo episode with your host, Amy Wheeler, me. And I just decided that I wanted to talk about something that I work with people as a yoga therapist to help self-empower them in their lives. And a lot of times it comes down to this, you know, it goes back to our 10 principles or our 10 commandments in yoga. The first and second being the yamas or our social disciplines, how we interact with people and the niyamas, which are kind of our personal disciplines. How do we take care of ourselves? But today I want to talk mainly about the first two yamas. The first one being ahimsa or non-violence to ourselves and others. And then the next one is satyam, the ability to speak our truth in a kind way that people can hear that is in alignment with dharma or the laws of nature, if you will. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. So many of the people that come to me with chronic illness, chronic pain, autoimmune disease, all sorts of things that are manifest from the root cause of having a dysregulated nervous system. And a dysregulated nervous system basically means one that is unable to stay in homeostasis, stay in balance, or come back to balance after a period of upset or stress. Normally, our nervous systems would naturally be able to deal with stress and we'd get out of balance for a little bit and then quickly be able to jump back in. That's what we call high heart rate variability. This flexibility of the nervous system to go in and out of sympathetic or fight or flight response back to parasympathetic or the rest and digest response. And that all day long, we'd be able to go back and forth in a, a way that the nervous system is designed for. But when we get dysregulated, that no longer happens. We just stay in sympathetic nervous system and it has pretty horrible effects on our own health, but it also impacts all of the people who are surrounding us. So today I'm going to talk about things like codependency, co-regulation as defined by Stephen Porges, uh, highly sensitive people, neurodiverse people, and basically how we can be in relationship with one another or sangha or community, how we can regulate ourselves while still being empathetic and supportive and in connection with other human beings who we care about. And it's a very, very fine line between being codependent versus co-regulating in a negative way where instead of me having a really strong, healthy nervous system and drawing people over to my side of the fence, instead, I'm around a lot of people that are dysregulated, meaning they cannot balance their own nervous system, and they're feeding off me to pull me over there, 
getting me to be dysregulated. So this is where the codependency comes in and finding those fine lines between the two. So I want to just start off with some definitions so that we're all kind of on the same page. There's a wonderful website called verywellmind.com. And there's an article on here called how to spot the signs of codependency. And I'll put the link in the show notes. And here's what they say. Codependency in a relationship is when each person involved is mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually reliant on the other. And that's so interesting because that's basically the Panchamaya model right there. A codependent relationship can exist between romantic partners, but also family and friends. And it tends to lead to very dysfunctional relationship patterns, or as we in yoga would call it, samskaras. And I would also add that probably this is emerging from something from long ago that we call a vasana, a residual scent that is left over from a previous relationship. Maybe we didn't get the love we wanted or needed as a child, and therefore we're trying to resolve that vasana, digest it, process it, and and get that in the current relationship, which ends up being pretty dysfunctional. I'll also add that this term is not something that we're looking at in terms of a clinical diagnosis. It's not something you're going to see in the DSM-5. It was originally coined in the 1950s in the context of Alcoholics Anonymous. So again, we're not talking about a diagnosis. We're talking about habitual patterns and ways that we tend to function in relationships. This article from Very Well Mind goes on to say, what is the root cause of codependency? Some people say it's biological, that the prefrontal cortex, the front of your brain, the thinking part that is logical and rational and organizes things, that maybe people who are really codependent, their brains are not able to suppress their empathetic responses. So it's almost like they're overly empathetic and they can feel everything that's happening with another person. It's almost like they take it on. So they're creating this overabundance of empathy. And that's a really interesting thought. I don't know how you all are, but if I see an animal getting hurt or a homeless person, I literally feel like I'm going to cry every single time. Like it is so overwhelming and I have to use my prefrontal cortex to kind of pull myself off the ledge. And I know, Amy, you're here, you're now. This is not something you can take on in this very moment while you're driving or whatever I was doing. So I can really relate to that. I mean, who knows what that comes from, right? I would say that some of us as children, we had to be so hyper vigilant about everybody else's needs in order to survive that maybe we developed that over empathy as a strategy to keep ourselves safe. Another cause of codependency could be psychological. People who are codependent may be psychologically predisposed to care for others. That's what I was just talking about, a victim who was uh, neglected while growing up or maybe had emotional abuse, sexual abuse, all sorts of abuse can lead to that need to scan your environment, look for what is not safe, and then try to fix it before somehow it impacts you negatively. And then a third cause of codependency could be social, which is resulting from how society views, especially women's roles. There is said to be a higher incidence of codependency in women or people who identify as a woman. 
And basically being a woman may set you up for being codependent. And I think that goes back to abuse. That goes back to power differentials throughout all of time in history, women trying to do what they needed to do to be safe. I mean, I think a lot of us kind of strong, independent women, we look back at the commercials from the 1950s and we're just, our mouths drop open. Like, are you kidding me? 50 years ago, that's what a woman had to act like in order to survive. And that's not to say that it's a bad thing for a woman to take on the gender role of a woman from the 1950s. If that's what a woman wants, go for it. That's part of being independent too. And not all of us want that and don't want to be forced into that. So one last little bit about codependency, it is a circular relationship in which one person needs the other person and the other person also needs to be needed. So one is I need you to need me. And the other one is, please need me. The codependent person known as the giver feels worthless unless they are needed and making sacrifices. The taker, they're happy to take. I cannot tell you how many people that come to me as a yoga therapist with autoimmune, cancer, chronic illness, all the diseases of dysregulated nervous system and depletion, this is a big part of it. And if and when I ask them to go to a psychologist to help resolve this, or we give them some meditation practices about giving and receiving, most of the women that I work with, especially, they cannot receive. If I have them doing nyasa or hand gestures about giving and receiving, it is really, really, really hard for them to even contemplate receiving, even contemplate asking for help. It's a very strange thing to witness that their entire identity is around being the giver. And if I'm not the giver, who am I? Will anybody need me? Will anybody love me? Will I have purpose? I see this so much and I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings here. You all know that I don't shy away from a controversy and I oftentimes say provocative things that make people really upset. I'm not doing it to make you upset. I'm just offering my experience and you can reject that if you like. But my experience has been that many mothers who have trouble after they've raised their children for 18 years and their children go off to college, many mothers that are just devastated to have their children leave them and go off into life because they've done such a great job being a mother that their kid is now prepared and ready to go off into life. But the mothers themselves are devastated because now the child is gone and their life purpose is gone. And frankly, their codependency is ripped out from them. A lot of them, in my experience as a yoga therapist, has been that they have been kind of helicopter moms. They've managed their children's life from morning to night. They have been so much the giver that when the child leaves, a few things can happen. One could be that they resent the child for, oh my gosh, I gave you all this. I never received all this from my parents. Doesn't that feel horrible? But I gave you all this and now you're leaving me. Now you're going to go live far away at college or go get a job. You're not going to have the grandkids near me. How dare you? How dare you go get a life of your own? So that tends to happen. And another thing is these women lack a sense of self. They have built their entire identity around being a mother of this child or these children. And they don't know who they are, which is a very yogic concept. Who am I? 
separate from the roles that I play in this world, separate from being a mother or a wife or a businesswoman or even a yogi, who am I? And reminding people that you are Purusha, you are that light within, you are eternal, you are all-knowing, you are free of fear and attachment and aversion and misperception and ego identification. You are free of all that. You are a precious divine child of the universe, despite any roles that you've played in this life. And when you overplay a role, any role, working too much, being a workaholic, being a codependent mother, even a codependent partner to someone, codependent friendships all over the place. When you put your eggs all in the same basket and then that basket is gone, there's going to be trouble. So part of our jobs as yoga therapists and spiritual counselors is to remind people who they really are, that they are this light, this Purusha, this Atman, Lots of yogic terms today, but helping people get back to who am I and why am I here and what is my purpose and how can I be of service? That's a big part of what I do as a yoga therapist that specializes in mind and mental health. So that's just one example of how codependency can show up. I oftentimes see it, especially I work with a lot of women and their husbands or their partners. It's just very, very natural for people to put their own needs on hold and begin to just look outside of themselves. What does that person need? I think I'll build my life around their needs and put myself second. So there's this thing that I do with nonviolent communication called the needs inventory. And this comes from the work of Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication, something that I started studying maybe 15 or 20 years ago, but I use it all the time as a yoga therapist. And that is, what are your needs? And for many, many people that I work with that have been super codependent, unfortunately, they don't even know what their needs are. It takes months of looking at this chart to figure out what are my needs. I tell them, put it in the bathroom on the mirror, put it on your refrigerator and start to figure out what your needs are separate from your children, separate from work, separate from your partner. You are a precious divine child of the universe separate from them. They do not create your value. You have value just because you exist and it's okay for you to have needs separate from them. And it's actually healthy. This is how we get to know who am I? Why am I here? How can I be of service? It can't really be based on somebody else's needs. It's got to be based on your needs. And I always say I'm the young man whisperer because a lot of my clients are young men, 17 to 26. I work with a lot of golfers and other young men that are in this process of figuring out who am I? Why am I here? And believe it or not, they really dig the teachings of yoga as a way to explore this. It's a little lighter than going to a psychotherapist and try to dredge up all their past trauma. We don't do that. We focus on the light. Where are you going? What do you want out of this life? How do you want to show up? What is your identity? All based on the teachings of yoga. Again, like a spiritual counselor of sorts, but I would say it's, I don't even like the word counselor because it's more just sharing the teachings of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and letting them figure out how does that apply to me and what does that look like in my life? All right. So we've talked a lot about codependency and here's where it gets a little bit sticky. I'm going to start talking about something called co-regulation 
And there's a wonderful blog. The blog is called Co-Regulation, the Physiology of Trust. And again, I can put this in the show notes, but I think it's so well-written. I just want to read it to you. Co-regulation, this one word embodies a brilliant, complex, interpersonal process that is oftentimes easily described, but not fully understood. Co-regulation is essential to interpersonal relating and connecting with others. In our everyday lives, each of us encounters this process as we navigate a multitude of interactions and situations. But what is co-regulation? Some have described it as an emotional energy exchange where one person is able to help another person to a calmer state by remaining regulated within their own nervous system. While there's truth in the description, it only begins to scratch the surface. As social creatures, we experience rich, complex emotional lives. However, our fast-paced world does not allow us the opportunity to fully appreciate the emotional interplay that so often occurs when one person provides another with a deep sense of trust and security. Understanding this interpersonal process requires us to examine not only what happens in the space between two people, so important, I love that, but even to look further within ourselves. Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory explore how our own autonomic nervous system is the key to human social connectedness and regulation. When it comes to social engagement, safety and trust is the foundation. Being able to figure out whether or not we are safe may seem obvious at first, but doing so actually goes beyond what we can consciously perceive. It's deep within us and outside of our consciousness, the autonomic nervous system. You may be familiar with this system's role in controlling bodily processes such as breathing, heart rate, and digestion. But according to polyvagal theory, it also serves as an adaptive purpose, and that is to keep it safe. And this is through a process called neuroception, which would not be possible without the wonderful vagus nerve, also known as the wandering nerve, that comes out of the lower part of the brain, the neck, the chest, and the abdomen. And it's the most complex of the 12 pairs of the cranial nerves. So I won't continue on because now we're getting into the vagus nerve. But what I want to say about this is that co-regulation is a conscious and unconscious choice that we make. If we're feeling safe, if we're feeling stable, if we are in homeostasis, to share that gift with another human being who may be dysregulated. So they can come into our field, our energetic field, and kind of thrive off of our stability and our clarity and our nervous system regulation. And as I said earlier, Sometimes when someone is dysregulated, your nervous system might not be quite as steady as you thought in this regulated state. And you end up through your empathy and through your good nature and your codependence, I hate to say, you go over to their side of the fence and you too become dysregulated. There are entire families that are just in constant dysregulation. And I say this with all the love in the world, I'm not trying to judge anyone but I would say most of our families are. We've got too much on our plate. We don't have enough sustenance. We're not living sustainable lives. We're trying to pack too much in our day. We've got too much tech. We don't have good communication skills. And we're just constantly dysregulated through too much caffeine consumption 
or through just being around the wrong type of people that also are dysregulated and drawing us over into their dysregulated state by basically creating a lifestyle that causes us to live in fight or flight. And I think this is why we're seeing such a huge rise in things like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, autoimmune diseases. I think that it plays into COVID, long COVID for some people, like I said, cancer, really any kind of chronic illness that has a nervous system component. And I think doctors agree with this. This is not an outrageous statement. Many doctors say that up to 70% of illness, including heart disease and diabetes, as shown by Dean Ornish early on in the 1970s, have a component or up to 70% that is caused by fight or flight, autonomic nervous system dysregulation, just feeling stressed out most of the time. So think about co-regulation. I just want you to think for a moment, are you the stable nervous system? Because you're into yoga, you get up and do a practice, you limit your caffeine, you get enough sleep, you're really found a way in a lifestyle that suits your nervous system. Are you that person? And can you hold that in the face of dysregulated people? As a yoga therapist, that's my job. I'm 95% of the people, both in my trainings and my faculty and my life, my family and everywhere at the grocery store, most people are pretty dysregulated when they first start to learn yoga and yoga therapy. And it's my job to hold the line and to stay regulated. And I can't do it all the time. I'm not a guru. I'm not special. I do my best and I sometimes lose it. I'm the first to admit that because it's hard work. Who can always be the stable one? Who can always be the one that's like, I got breathing techniques. I got meditation. I know how to move. I know what to eat, what not to eat. Like that is a full-time job. And then to just have people bouncing up against you that are out of balance, it is hard. It's probably the one thing that makes me wonder if I can do this job long-term, honestly. (laughs) I don't sound like I'm selling being a yoga therapist today, but it's basically what you're doing. Now, the good news is part of your job is to keep yourself in balance and to do a daily practice and to do all the things that we teach as yoga therapists. We have to be able to do that in order to be an effective yoga therapist so that people can co-regulate to us. Now, if we get not enough sleep, if we have too much caffeine, if we're drinking wine every night, if we're smoking pot, if we're around people that are dysregulated all the time, if we're working too hard, we will not be able to hold that line. And we will jump into dysregulation, which is also a type of co-regulation, I guess, not the safe kind, not the trust building kind, but we may fall off the wagon into their dysfunction. So really what we're trying to help people do when we are an effective yoga therapist is first provide the safety and the foundation to even feel what a regulated nervous system feels like, and then teach our clients and our students how to develop a lifestyle to sustain that, what works with their nervous system, what doesn't work with their nervous system, and basically how do we stay in sattva? Sattva is the Sanskrit word for homeostasis or a regulated nervous system. Sattva referring to mind, but as we know, the mind is in every cell of the body, the mind is in every nerve of the body, and therefore we can just say sattva. So let's really look at this. Let's say that your partner is not into yoga and is a stressaholic and drinks eight cups of coffee and has an anxiety disorder. 
and maybe you're doing the work to stay regulated, that's going to feel really challenging. But this, my friends, is why I'm bringing codependency into the picture. When we get in these situations where our friend, our partner, our boss, I mean, it doesn't matter who it is really, comes and tries to, number one, get in our co-regulated space, maybe that works and that's fabulous. But most of the time, what I see is that they try to drag you into their dysregulation. And if you're not well-rested in sattvic, you're going to get dragged over there. If you're sattvic, you're like, oh, that is not my monkey. That is not my circus. I love you, but I'm not going to be codependent with you. It is your job to take care of your nervous system. It is my job to take care of my nervous system. I have empathy for you. But if you're not doing what you need to do to stay in balance, I just can't come and get dysregulated with you. I'm so sorry. I can stand here and love you, but I cannot go there with you. I want you to come over here. Regulate to me, please. And of course, not throwing it in their face, not making them feel ashamed or unworthy, but holding the line of, I'm not going to be codependent. I'm not going to be the giver so you can be the taker. I'm going to be the healthy one. I would like you to be a healthy one. And then we can come together. And this isn't like a threat, you know, like, oh, if you don't do this, we're done. But there is some firmness. Like I get up and drink hot water every day. I don't drink coffee on an empty stomach. I do my practice every day. And maybe you're choosing other behaviors. Maybe you do not like hot water in the morning and you do want coffee first thing and you don't want to do a practice and you want to watch an hour of news on your phone, terrifying you. If that's what you choose to do to set up your day, again, I love you, but I'm not participating in that. And I'm going to be over here doing my thing. And it might even require leaving the house, (laughs) getting out of their physical space. Now for an adult, you can do that. Even though most people don't, most people just tolerate this bad behavior, honestly. And I have to teach them to stay strong and not do that and hopefully have them go to a psychologist also. But if it's your child, going back to the mother and the child that are very codependent, if it's your child, I think most mothers, if they can, they co-regulate for both mother and child pretty much the whole childhood. Now, that is appropriate between, say, the baby being zero to, I don't know what the exact time is, but I would say when the child starts to have independence, that independence should squarely be in alignment with that child learning how to regulate his or her or their nervous system. So if your child is starting to do some independent activities, like clean their room and brush their teeth and pick out their clothes, maybe say age eight, I don't know if that's appropriate, but it seems like it would be to me. Well, that child should also start doing their daily routines of having a little bit of hot water and maybe doing some breathing exercises or, you know, whatever it is, that child's independence should go in alignment with their ability to regulate themselves. By the time we have this term called differentiation, where the child is preparing to leave the nest, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, that child should have learned ideally how to regulate their nervous system. And I think this is why we're seeing so many kids these days so miserable with anxiety, depression, drug use, addiction. They haven't learned how to regulate their nervous systems. Number one, because their parents are so dysregulated, their family is so dysregulated. Or number two, the parents have become helicopter parents and done 
everything for them, not allowing that person to develop into an independent human being, which is of course not healthy and haven't taught them how to regulate their nervous systems, frankly, again, and it's not a judgment. It just is. We're just kind of looking at truth here because if we don't look at truth, there's no way to fix that. There's no way to learn how to regulate an 18 year old who hasn't learned how to regulate their nervous system yet. They're probably using Starbucks coffee to regulate. That's okay. And now it's time for us to teach this person how to regulate at that point, be the parents, but it might be the young person themselves. Like when I taught at California state university, San Bernardino for 25 years, I taught yoga classes. I taught health classes. I taught sports psychology classes. Every one of my classes was about nervous system regulation. Now, the university didn't know exactly what I was teaching because I had intellectual property and ability to choose. I did follow the textbook somewhat, but anytime I could plug in nervous system regulation into any topic, that is where we were going. (laughs) And I love that about my job because so many kids, I probably taught 20,000 young adults over those 25 years, find me on LinkedIn. They email me, they see me in the grocery store and they're like, your class was my most important class in college. And when I ask why they say, you taught me how to manage my emotions. You taught me how to manage my moods. You taught me how to manage my energy levels. You taught me about my nervous system. I didn't know anything about any of that. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Why aren't we doing this in schools? Because I think Parents usually aren't very capable of this. Getting back to that parent and child relationship or that partner relationship, what I want you to think about, and this is an inside job. This is what we do as yoga therapists. We don't tell you the answers. We set up meditations. We set up breath work. We set up asana practices, chanting. We set up hand gestures, things that bring you either into your healthy parasympathetic nervous system where you can relax and digest, or we could also use those same techniques to bring you into your healthy sympathetic nervous system where you're clear and calm and alert, not your fight or flight response, but your healthy part of your sympathetic nervous system. I want you to think about how you might be able to be a co-regulator without being codependent. And I'll just give you a hint. The answer is everyone has to do it for themselves. We can teach them. We can lead a horse to water. We can be loving and kind and show them the way. And then that horse, aka spouse, child, colleague, boss has to drink the water. We can't tilt their head back and pour the water in their mouth for them. If we lead them there, they can do it. And then your decision as a healthy person is to determine if they choose not to go there, if they choose to stay dysregulated, and I would give them two to three years to do this, by the way, if they're making progress over several years, I'm in, (laughs) I'm loyal. (laughs) But if they just think it's BS, they want nothing to do with it. They've decided this is not the path for them. You as a non-codependent person are going to have to decide how to keep yourself safe and regulated. And that's hard. Does that mean less contact? Does that mean firmer boundaries? Does that mean stating your needs? Does that mean leaving the relationship? There's a lot of ways this can play out. It could be conversations over two to three years and finally realizing this is not going to work. It could be conversations over two to three years 
and practices and then realizing, oh my gosh, here we are in this new, amazing place. But it all starts with intention. It all starts with sankalpa to regulate yourself, to decide you're not going to be the co-regulator of everybody on the planet, making yourself sick and to speak your truth and say, I need you to take care of your own mind and your own nervous system. And I'm here to help you and show you what that looks like or help you find a yoga therapist. But I can't keep doing this for you. It leaves me depleted and empty and forgetting who I am. And it's just not why I'm here. I'm sorry. I love you, but we're going to change this pattern now. So let us move to a slightly different angle on this. And this is something that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm a highly sensitive person. I think that has a lot of overlap with codependency, to be honest. I'm sorry to say that I am a highly sensitive person. <laughs> I have been known to be codependent, so I can say that about myself and others. But really being a highly sensitive person is not an excuse for not taking care of yourself and not asking other people to take care of themselves. You can't just say, well, I'm highly sensitive. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's your job. <laughs> but when you look at maybe a partner or a child or someone that's what we call neurodiverse, neurodiversity is just a word that we use to explain how people's brains work in kind of a unique way. They work differently than average. And I put average in, in quotes, but examples of being neurodiverse are those people with ADHD, autism, dyspraxia, dyslexia, Tourette's syndrome, people who, who their nervous system is what I would call a little bit in high gear, meaning rajas in yoga, we would say they have a very, very high tendency to be very pitta, very vata, or both at the same time, and maybe not as much ability to control that, or maybe have to work much harder to control the rajas and maybe even find a completely different lifestyle than works for a lot of people. They might have to find their own way. And I see so many people that they feel upset because they can't work a nine to five job and stay healthy and stay balanced in an office with other people. It's just not how their nervous system can function. And so they have to work from home or they have to figure out another way to sustain themselves because their brains are neurotypical. Now, the way that this plays in is that a lot of neuroatypical people end up being codependent and end up taking on the co-regulation inappropriately for lots of other people and they don't even know they're doing it. They're just really empathetic, kind human beings that don't have as much ability. We don't have as much ability sometimes to regulate our nervous systems. And it's a lot more work and we might need more downtime. We might need more alone time. We might not fit in, in social situations. We might have one or two best friends that is enough for us. There's a lot of different ways it plays out. But just to say that if you're neurodiverse or if you want to call it highly sensitive person, not that those are the same, but people use both terms, just give yourself permission to do what you need to do for creating your healthy daily schedule. And coming up, I think it's in October, our Monday night yoga therapy clinic is going to be dealing with creating healthy lifestyle and how to find these daily routines. And I'll just say, if you're highly sensitive or a neurodiverse person, your daily routines are gonna look so different than what we might call a typical person. 
you're going to need a lot more breaks. You might need to lie down. You might need less interaction. You might not be able to work six and eight hours straight without getting yourself into a chronic illness that we give you permission to figure out the lifestyle that's going to work for you. And the hard part is, is how do you financially make it right? This is a needle to be threaded, but I think it's possible. And giving yourself permission to explore that is the first key, not trying to keep up with everybody and try to do what everybody else is doing, constantly throwing yourself out of balance. And that includes family. Maybe you can't go to big family get togethers every other weekend. Maybe you can't be around as many people. It's okay. Get a yoga therapist and they will give you permission to be exactly how you are, who you are. And I think a lot of people who are saying, I've got major, major trauma, they may, and they may also be highly sensitive or neurodiverse and just actually need a quite a different lifestyle to be able to digest and process all the events of the day. So some of the tips that I've found helpful for neurodiversity are things like taking breaks often, getting up and moving, hydrating well, and neurodiverse people tend to be dehydrated a lot, small mini breaks, jump on your trampoline for a little bit, go for a 10 minute run, later in the day, do 10 minutes of weights, lie down for 10 minutes and do a yoga nidra, just these small breaks to kind of reset your nervous system so that you can stay regulated. That's the biggest thing I would say. But again, a yoga therapist could help someone who's either codependent, dysregulated, neurodiverse, we're talking about all three of those today, could help you or them set up a lifestyle that is going to be more sustainable. And, you know, there's a lot of talk out there that some of our things that have been categorized as mental illness in the DSM-5 are actually this, just a unique nervous system trying to survive that looks a lot like a personality disorder. And again, we will always refer to a therapist. We are complementary. And how cool would it be to go to a therapist, a psychotherapist or any kind of therapist and do the yogic lifestyle balancing that has been working for people for 5,000 years? Why not do both if you can? So I think I've given you a lot to think about today. And I'd like to invite you to do our 12 days of Yoga Nidra. It's a free program on Kajabi offered by Optimal State that will be ongoing. If you hear this interview in two years, you can still join us. And basically you go to the website, www.optimalstateyoganidra.com. And you can take 12 days of Yoga Nidra for free. It's just a gift. And maybe that can be your start into exploring who you are, how your nervous system works, what you need to feel happy and healthy and whole and help you figure out a lifestyle that works for you and what you can offer in this world just by being you. So I invite you to the 12 days of Yoga Nidra with Optimal State. And I invite you to start this journey with yoga therapy and start exploring these fine lines between codependency, co-regulation, and having choice around, do I need to take care of myself right now? Am I willing to help somebody else right now? Just having clarity instead of ending up with a chronic illness and wondering how this happened to you. All right, everybody. It's been lovely to be with you today, and I hope that we connect soon. Have a great week.
a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.